This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about healthcare trends with Jeff Bauer, a health futurist, medical economist, and a featured speaker at many healthcare events. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jeff. My pleasure to work with you again, Howard. Okay, we want to talk to you today about your forecast for the top five trends for healthcare in the next year and beyond. So what are some of the biggest changes we'll see in the next year or two or three? Well, I really think we're right at the cusp of a shift from the 20th century model of sort of one-size-fits-all medicine, the assumption that everybody that had a given disease has uh, the same version of that disease. And uh, I really think, in fact, 2010 will go down as the tipping point. We realized from the last uh, five to seven years of research that actually diseases that look the same, that have the same symptoms, can play out very differently at a molecular level in different patients. And uh, the, the really dramatic shift is towards physicians and um, other caregivers, advanced practice nurses and pharmacists that are beginning to actually do diagnostics and, and do treatment plans for patients, realize that um, patients can be very different. So to me, the, the, the really exciting trend uh, sort of peaking right now and, and, and going to play out is that shift from um, one-size-fits-all to highly diversity of personalized predictive medicine. And that will be uh, uh, accompanied by a transformation from a focus on acute care to a real uh, management of disease. And so I, I think the biggest thing going on in medicine right now, and to me it, it explains more than half of how healthcare will be different uh, two to five years out from now, is this uh, shift to a recognition that uh, we're all different and we have uh, rather dramatic variations in what were thought to be uh, common diseases. So what are the uh, privacy and security uh, implications of this type of medicine that relies on the human genome. Well, I happen to think I happen to think they're rather shattering um, and, and certainly challenging because as more people discover that uh, they're maybe not going to benefit from the uh, most common drug for the disease that was thought to be the same for everybody, um, they're going to discover real value in having uh, their health history available for search. They're going to discover that um, they may want to have people be able to delve into their medical record. Um, because there will be more and more researchers, uh, especially with the uh, advent of, of translational medicine, as, as more and more caregivers outside of academic health centers are beginning to uh, to really try to figure out what works in American medicine. I think a growing number of patients, and, and I, I find in any given audience I speak to, it's maybe a third of the people when I ask for a show of hands, saying, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to have my health information public, because that way people that are doing research, people that are looking for the variations that I might have, will be able to identify me bring me into a research group, match me with the drug that is known to relate to my particular variation of this once thought to be common disease. So uh, it's not for 2010 and 2011, but by 2015, I think we're going to be having a vibrant debate uh, from an awful lot of people that say all of this HIPAA protection and stuff like that is actually getting in the way of me being able to uh, uh, have my health data searched by people that um, are really focusing on, on people with my particular type of the disease. I think it's going to be a stunning shift that really is going to throw open HIPAA, um, you know, the idea that everybody's health protection uh, needs to be kept at the highest possible level, starting slowly about right now, but I think it will get to the fever pitch pretty quickly. So what other trends are on the horizon? As a 
very quick and direct result of this shift uh, from one-size-fits-all to personalized predictive medicine. I think this whole concept of the patient-centered medical home is just going to blossom. It's, it's absolutely implied as we realize that uh, patients are different and therefore we need to, uh, to customize our treatments and our diagnoses far more than we ever did in the past. And in fact, when you look back over the two years of pretty uh, um, unfocused debate over health reform that took place in Washington 2009-2010, um, one common denominator was this whole idea that came from the medical community of the patient-centered medical home, and it's embedded way in the back of uh, both the healthcare reform laws. But um, from a clinical point of view, I think it's very, very powerful. And I really think as more and more patients understand the need to be treated uh, with, you know, on their own particular terms, that we're going to discover the progressive health plans, the uh, insurance companies that want to save money, et cetera, are really going to force providers, and that includes you know, doctors and, and advanced practice nurses and pharmacists, are going to force them into uh, beginning to treat the patients much more as individuals rather than as collective groups with a single disease. Uh, you look in the context of the expansion of caregivers, which I just mentioned, and uh, the fact that uh, patients are going to be increasingly different, and more and more patients will recognize that. And drug companies um, will be focusing uh, development on targets for the individual variations. And um, insurance companies will want to prevent the waste of giving people a drug that could be ruled out pretty early on if you knew their particular type of the disease. Uh, I just think everything focuses on this patient-centered medical home. How does that affect our approach to ensuring privacy and security, if at all? Because it's an extension of what I had to say about personalized predictive medicine and the increasing uh, complexity and diversity of diseases, it's going to play out in exactly the same way that as more and more patients get personalized care, they're going to be willing to open up their databases to um, uh, more of the caregivers that might help them, to the drug companies, uh, to the uh, the pharmacists, and as, as I say, and the, and the nurse practitioners. Um, again, I, I just don't think that HIPAA, you know, I'm now 10 years old, and uh, uh, the recent uh, increases in security and confidentiality protections in health reform legislation uh, mesh at all with the advantages of allowing people to open up their records much more. So, again, I see a pretty tumultuous conflict between what people may want and uh, the uh, uh, restrictions that the laws uh, impose. I suspect you'd get a strong argument uh, from the other side, from some consumer advocates on this issue. Well, and I love to debate them because I really think that, that they have a very one-sided view that, uh, first of all, isn't recognizing some of the protections that we've got, such as, you know, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, and I don't think they think of the legal remedies. But above all, I, I, I love taking them on because I think they're just generally insensitive to the fact that a lot of people don't share their um, highly pronounced concerns about uh, having more, you know, having more people have access to their information, because I really think that uh, to the extent that people are prevented from allowing access to their information, those people are being prevented from getting some of the more uh, modern advantages of, of this new kind of care. I understand that you're forecasting expansion of telemedicine. What are the uh, implications of that? Well, telemedicine just makes so darn much sense with the 
remarkable quality, I mean, diagnostic quality of, of pictures you can take on, you know, leading line cell phones right now and, and um, devices that can be in the home to monitor your blood pressure and listen to your chest and all that stuff. There's a remarkable amount, uh, and I feel comfortable saying at least 30% of the information that a physician or a nurse picks up when you have to go into the, into the doctor's office for your visit, uh, at least 30% of that information, and for many diseases, it's nearly the totality of the information, can be picked up uh, over a distance. Um, you know, the patient can put him or herself at a monitor, can um, be monitored by something that uh, is worn on the belt. And so, um, you know, again, to me, one of the trappings of 20th century medicine, the quicker we move beyond it, the better we'll be, is this idea that you've got to go see a doctor or the nurse in the office to, to figure out whether you're sick. Uh, telemedicine now allows that information to be monitored on a real-time basis, and, and you can have excellent medical care provided without a doctor, nurse, and a patient ever coming together. And, um, you know, to the extent that uh, there are restrictions on access to telemedicine and uh, uh, some pretty uh, archaic concepts toward paying for it because it can be so much more cost-effective, we're going to see tensions between those people who want to protect the uh, the trappings of 20th century medicine and those people that increasingly will see not only the cost advantages but the outcomes improvements that come from being able to uh, use telemedicine and some of the other care opportunities that can be had outside of traditional doctor's offices and hospitals um, to their benefit. Uh, we're setting up some, um, some interesting conflicts here, but uh, I think that in the final analysis, and it'll come fairly soon, people will realize that telemedicine care delivered outside of doctor's offices and hospitals is not only capable of being considerably less expensive, it can be at least as good, if not better. So people resist change, and there will be lots of opposition to it, but uh, um, even slowly but surely, the more progressive uh, health insurance companies are beginning to recognize that, and they're willing to provide reimbursement for this because they recognize the service is at least as good and it's less expensive and can be reimbursed at a lower rate. Doesn't that trend raise some issues about protecting the data as it's traversing from one site to another? Oh, absolutely. It, it not only raises the questions about uh, the data and, um, you know, reminding us that we perhaps need to be more serious about encryption and uh, um, controlling access to uh, our databases, but, you know, the technologies are all there. It's just sometimes we, uh, we cut corners. But, yeah, it, it absolutely um, raises that issue. But at the same time, um, I don't see it as an impediment for us moving forward with 21st century healthcare, because um, uh, we know how to uh, take care of these things. Um, the other issue that it does raise that I, I find sort of a sleeper that deserves more attention than it does is, is we introduce telemedicine and, and a lot of the uh, new care that can be delivered outside the traditional institutional settings. We're using more and more people's software. And so from the software that might be um, in, a, in a vendor's um, home blood pressure monitoring kit or the software, the intelligence software that might be embedded in um, medical administration record in an electronic health system, we're going into the issue of relying on software that someone else developed. And, you know, is, can vendors really get away with saying they want to be held harmless, that if there's a software issue, um, they don't get held accountable? And to be perfectly honest, I think software accountability is at least as important as security and confidentiality. But um, in answer to your question, I, I think that uh, is an additional concern that ought to be addressed. What other trends should we have to look out for? I guess the one 
that I end up talking about the most. It's it's not one that excites me the most, but but it's got to be mentioned. And that is what I think is a very high probability of um, high tech, the the you know certified use of meaningful technology, and the health reform laws failing. I find that, that most policy analysts assume that uh, the $30 billion in high-tech funds will be dispersed and lots of people will become meaningful users and there will be lots of certified technologies out there. And I find lots of people assuming that by 2014, um, people will be mandated to buy health insurance. And yet, um, as a forecaster, um, I think the probability of uh, high-tech and health reform playing out as enacted, in other words, it's passed by Congress and signed by the president, is down there well below 50%, in fact, um, 30% and falling. Not only do we have uh, the Republicans able now through the House Ways and Means Committee to prevent uh, funding for parts of the uh, health reform that they don't like and parts of high tech that uh, might uh, strain the budget, we also just have a lot of people who... Uh, you know, want to file court suits against it. Uh, um, we just saw this week, uh, the week of this interview, the uh, um, uh, federal judge in Virginia allowing the uh, constitutionality, the challenge to the constitutionality of health reform to go forward. So even though I get, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a techie and I love to talk about security and confidentiality and the other things that you've asked me to address, to be perfectly honest, when I'm out there giving my speeches and doing my uh, writing my articles, I have to remind people, um, you better have plan B. You know, plan A is the assumption that uh, uh, the laws of 2008, 2009, and 2010 are going to define health care in the future. I'm not saying they can't. Remember, I signed probabilities, but I think the probability of them playing out is, is in the 30% or less category. That means 70% chance that um, we're not going to see high tech uh, become what it was enacted to be, 70% uh, or greater chance that we're not going to see health insurance being mandatory by um, 2014. They better have plan B. So we ask what are the other big issues? Um, it's cover your bets. Don't count all your uh, chickens before the eggs are hatched. So when you talk about the potential failure of high tech, is that in part because you don't think hospitals and physicians are going to bother with applying for the incentive payments because it's too much hassle? Uh, that is certainly a factor. I think that they're going to discover not only is it a hassle, but they're also going to discover that it's not pass-fail, it's all or nothing. And that is going to play out just within the next six months as as people begin to look at, well, you know, I might get my um, 3.4 million next year if I comply. But then they start looking at that list of the 15 uh, reports they've got to be able to crank out uh, roughly a year from now. And I suddenly find an increasing awareness. Well, geez, we're approaching this on the assumption we could do most of those, but all of a sudden, you know, someone has told us that uh, it's all or nothing. You're going to have to do all 15 or you don't get a penny. So, yeah, a lot of people are going to back off and not try. A lot of people that are trying very diligently are going to say, hold it. Is this worth uh, the chances that I'm going to get a 99 on the exam and, uh, and, and, and get nothing for my efforts? And, and I really think, sadly, I, I say this with no delight at all, but I think, sadly, an awful lot of people um, who until recently were thinking, I think we can make it, are suddenly going to discover, you know, it's just this one little glitch. And then as more and more people become aware of the, uh, the real costs of compliance, um, as, as they begin to look at the reports and, and understand that, uh, you know, for their $3.4 million if they're a hospital next year, for their 64000 if they're a physician seeing lots of Medicaid patients or, you know, whatever variation of, of, of uh, qualified recipients they are in between, um, they're suddenly starting to look at, you know, just the, the hiring the consultants to get me into this uh, 
suddenly it's going to look like I may spend $4 million to get my 3.5, does not compute. And then they might discover that uh, if they weren't trying to get the high-tech funds, they'd, they'd actually be doing their digital transformation in some very different ways. And anyone that's trying to comply with high-tech is being forced into a very narrow category of things based on a bad law um, when there's so many other things they could be doing. So please don't let anyone think that my cynicism towards the high-tech legislation is in any way criticism of digital transformation. I just think that high-tech prevents a lot of people from doing the digital transformation that would be done quite differently if they weren't chasing the dollars. Well, thanks, Jeff. We've been talking today with futurist Jeff Bauer. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.HealthCareInfoSecurity.com.